It's me, Dan, from Harmontown. You can hear episodes of our show and 30 others before anyone else on TuneIn First Play. The TuneIn app is a free mobile audio app available across iOS, Android, and Windows. Podcast superfans get even more from their favorite shows. For four weeks, new episodes of Harmontown will be available a full 24 hours early, exclusively on TuneIn. Podcasts will release their new episodes early, including feral audio shows like Drinky Fun Time, Dome People Town, and Natural. Butte. Tune in is also full of content like live sports, news, music, and audiobooks. Get the next episode of Harmontown right now at the TuneIn app at tunein.com slash Harmontown. Something you can't even drive. It just doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't work. It doesn't. It's, it doesn't work at all. Why would you get something if you can't use it? It's art, man. It's it's, it's interior decorations. I'm having. I'm. I'm a bit of a trying to find out what part. That's 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 my thing. What are you doing here? <laughs> I'm, I'm, Trying to spark my pot. I mean, find my spark, park my spot. Is there a spark to pot? Is there a a spark a spark to pork? Looking for a pork to I'm looking for a pork to spat a spat. Do you know if there's a spark to park here? A park to. I think you're overdoing this completely. Yeah, well, you know what? That might be the case. Hey, Johnny, it's Donnie. You know, Donnie Jeffcoat, the announcer from Twisting the Ring. Yeah, man, look, I've been out of town for a little bit. I had a fucking run-in with the cops, man. Did I want to have a run-in with the cops? I did not want to have a run-in with the cops. Big surprise, yeah, big old, big old, big old goddamn surprise. I did not want to have a run-in with the cops. But you know what? Sometimes the cops run into you, and you got to step down off your high ladder and just take a take. We got to pay the piper. And when I say Piper, this guy's name was Officer David Piper, okay? That's a kind of an ironic name, which think for a cop, you know what I mean, man? 
Uh, yeah, that's that's. I mean, it's not really ironic, but I get, I suppose so. In, in terms of the way you're just, just stay with me, okay, okay. I'm doing the story now. I'll, I'll fucking blast you in here real soon. Okay, so I'm driving on the PCH. That's the Pacific Coast Highway. Maybe you know about it. A lot of accidents there. A lot of movie stars and all that shit. So here's the deal, man. I'm just trying to like get my stuff together. You know, Jenica is not talking to me right now, which is hard to deal with. Okay. And my brother, he's off in like Colorado making some fucking film about dogs or I don't know, documentary about sled dogs. Go to Alaska, man. And this happens. They pull over. They find the brick of weed in my trunk. I didn't know it was there. I forgot about it. You know, honestly, I forgot about it. But the cop thinks I'm lying. So there's there's there there you have it there you got the one thing you wanted and you got the thing you had that you did so when you come back to it you got to own up the way you found it in the first place because if you spark that pot in the parking spot you're gonna have a drag of bugs it's like it looks like a, ba- a bag of did i say drag of bug that's a bag of drugs yeah you said that well that's what i mean you know it's like a drag of bugs if you got a bag of drugs and you're in your sparking pot then you have to park park over with a sparking pat with a, the rack and the it's just a drag man it's a super drag okay but i won't i won't play down much more hey everybody hey everybody Hey, did you like that? I was like, a, like I did like a filter, but I did it without using a filter, just to use. <laughs> I used my mouth. Okay. Welcome to Twisting the Wind with Johnny Pemberton here on the field. Work it, bitch. That part of Star Wars when we get sound. Yeah. <laughs> if you happen to be in North Dakota at North Dakota University on Friday, January 30th, you can see Johnny Pemberton and Joe Mandy perform for college students. I don't know if you can, if, unless you go there, but you could sure try. You know, how about the 31st of the same month, a.k.a. the next day, in Minneapolis, Minnesota, also known as St. Paul, Minnesota, at the Turf Club, also with stunning stellar comedian Joe Mandy. Coming up soon after that. In February, you in Las Vegas with the 14th, that's Valentine's Day, you can see Johnny Pemberton with DJ Doug Pound and Megan Kester and Mr. Neil Hamburger at uh, some kind of rock club or something. I can't remember the name of it, but uh, you can figure it out. If you want to go, Vegas, February 14th, okay? Go there. That's the show to go to. Do you live even 500 miles away? That's going to be worth the drive, okay? If you make it a special Valentine's Day for you and your lady or your man or doesn't matter who gives a fuck about Valentine's Day, right? If you cared about Valentine's Day, you wouldn't care about shit. Or, no, I mean, you know, it's like, yeah. Okay, go see me live, babies. Hey, it's Johnny here. Uh, here, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thanks, thanks, Donnie, for for reeling us in the years there, bringing it in, just laying it down, letting it splatter flat. That's true. I will be those places, those dates. That's not a joke or anything. If that was a joke, that'd be just 
just not even, not even a, uh, not even a bad joke, just a terrible joke, just like a, like, oh wow, what a, what a terrible idea to do. Uh, you're listening to the 77th episode of Twisting the Wind with Seventy-seven here in the Barrel Audio Network. Audio. Uh, getting on to a deep groove, we're settling in, we're making a lot of friends with all the neighbors around us, we're just uh, resenting people uh, parking in front of my house, and um, just, you know, general general sort of thing like that. I so think that's if you're normal. parking in front of my house, let me know, make sure I approve of it. So they should knock on your um, door. Okay. Other big deal right now is sure, the yeah. Twisting the Wind t-shirt is Still available, yes, I think, right now. You know, the this, this is going to come out several days after I'm, my voice is making yes, these sounds right now. The and we're the stock. It's is dwindling, running low. Like I said, these are yes, limited editions. I only made printed fifty of them. I only kept one for myself, and I kept one for a, uh, uh, for Dustin. Otherwise, there. That's all. That's all she wrote. The very first run of these beautiful. So, like, they're just great. I love we've, what happened with these. We've already sold they're fifteen so of them. Nice and uh, they're beautiful. Subtly perfect, and there's not like you know people. There's not like people there make t-shirts and they do a fucking shit job of it. Oh, they do. I like, just what don't is this? care. Busy town on a shit shirt and crap weather. Dynasty hot dog spray boy cum block. These are not. This is a subtle, beautiful, custom design made by Super Secret Powwow Illustrations. No joke. Check out that website of the words I just said. That's who designed this. It's a custom one. It's only going to be this run of 50. After that, I'm going to make a new shirt. It's going to look totally different. It's going to be a different artist and everything. So that's how it's going to be. So be one of the 50 and get it now. There's only a few left. There's some sizes, obviously, are more sought after than others because some people are different sizes than others, and those sizes tend to be... Different people. <sighs> different. Tend to be different. It's different people, so man. Get on to the Feral Audio website. It's uh, feralaudio.com. Go to the Twisting the Wind. Twisting the Wind. Go for some corn chips right now. Get the Twisting the Wind page. When couldn't I? Check that out. Go to the Twisting the Wind page and buy a T-shirts because you want to. I'm looking at it right now. They're beautiful. They take Maestro. They or Mastercard. Maybe it is Maestro. What the fuck is Maestro? It's Maestro. Like European thing. They take Maestro. They take Mastercard. They take Visa. They take American Press. They take uh, United uh, Pro Umbersnam. They take Discover. Who the fuck takes Discover anymore? They take Bank. They take fucking Bank. There's something here called Bank. I just clicked on it. I don't even know what this is. I'm I'm on my own. Um, that's not my website. Here it is. Oh, I guess bank is PayPal. It's called bank now. It was just called bank. What about this? Discover? Ooh. What about this one here? I'm finding out what this one is. This is exciting or what? Cool story, bro. Well, I don't know what it is, but whatever it is, there's no, there's literally no way you can't pay for this fascinatingly, stunningly, perfectly designed, subtle yet, yet dynamic t-shirt designed for twisting the wind. Doesn't even say my fucking name on it. It's that subtle and cool. How you like that, huh? How like that, honeys? How like that, bunnies? How like that, you old men who's eating gummies with gummy gum gummers? Yeah, that's what I like about it, okay? So thanks for being here. Uh, please rate and review the podcast if you like it. That's You go to iTunes and you t- click in the numbers and the stars and you say something like, Hey, man, uh, I'm I'm here inside this sound and I love it. It's super fun. When he does that thing with the, the, the backwards jazz, I'm down with it and I'm back forward with it again. It's that cool. Uh, the email... 
is twistingthewind at gmail.com. That's a semi-direct uh, pathway for uh, partial responses and or musical interventions of all styles. You know, it's just this, 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 this. Is this what you came here for or what, huh? How much do you love Jackward Bass? Huh? Isn't that I love more than a little bit of Jackward Bass, you know? When I'm having a dude a dude gay and I just find a really great sparking pot, I've got a nice big drag of bugs with me. I just sit down and I listen to some Jackward Bass, some, some Jackward Bass, and then I just have a what, what a date gray that is, you know? You know? Now, yo, stuck a mate phone and you put a plate phone. You put a flight forward and you put your zest foot forward and your your your, 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 your foot faced forward. And that's what it's all about, man. I'm glad to be here for you, for that, for this, forever, for now, for something. Do you have it, get it? And this is where we are. Thanks so much. And be what is that song? Is it like a soundtrack or something? Who am I? <laughs> what beautiful analog technology sounds like is that? <sighs> Bugs. I want more bugs. <laughs> I do. I want more bugs in my life, you know? I want some more, like, freaky weird bugs. I'm tired of these same old spiders jigging around here, you know? Give me some new ones, baby. I don't care if they're pests. What is a pest? You got the wrong idea, honey. Don't fucking say this is a pest. It's a beautiful bug, okay? I think it was a pest is these uh these uh bathroom technologies, you know what I mean? This bullshit it's like they've got to get the new waterless urinals in the this bathroom of this office of my office. What the heck, man? It's like who gives a what the what is waterless technology? Does that mean oh oh it just doesn't it just doesn't flush? Well, it's hey uh it's waterless technology. We use a special technology where there's no water. Um what do you fucking mean? Is it like a okay? You know what? I'll pl- I'll, I'll play. What they do is it's like, it's like coated in a special thing where the urine like really slides off it, like really hard slides off. You know, hey, we're doing this because we want to save the world. It has nothing to do with uh, us saving money at all. No, it has nothing to do with that at all. It has nothing only to do with that. It's about like you know saving that water. It's about saving that water for our for our future planet that we do and 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 it's, you know i don't like spiders or bugs i like water free waterless technology uh, that's the dumbest thing i've ever said on this poo poo cast this is a fucking poo cast right this is a poo cast it's a straight up poo cast uh i want to recommend a book it's a really cool book it's by Dan Riskin. It's called Nature is Trying to Kill You. It's really cool. It's all about nature and stuff like that. I love it. I recommend it highly to you. It's a little bit on the Richard Dawkins side of a sort of reductive science in terms of like, hey man, we're just a product of our genes doing things. And uh, I, 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 you know what? Here's the thing. I really like animals and bugs and, and quote unquote nature, which is really everything, you know, but 
that's again that's sort of reductive as well as far as the the language that you know people what is nature you know what what does it mean but uh i guess it means non-human you could just say it's non-human or whatever that bullshit is but that's the thing is they're talking about all these ideas of uh everything just being the dna to further the process of dna replication but what the fuck does DNA want to be replicated for? It's not sentient. It's just it's just doing it to do it. It's like a, well, it's just like a cosmic mistake. It's got to be something extra, right? It's got to be a little something extra, a little something cool, something funky, something transcendent. Dare I say, transcendent? Dare I say, transcendent? Yeah, man. What about transcendence, huh? I don't think DNA has any role in transcendence. Okay, I'm getting cosmic on you. But that's what I want. That's what I fucking want. Some transcendence, not just not just your DNA replication. But this book is great because it talks about these bugs and shit and these <laughs> bugs and shit. I hate that I said and shit. That's the worst when you say and shit, you know, and shit and shit and shit and shit. I just want to be an iridescent spider with rocket wings that can blast off into inner zones of fifth dimensions. Okay. That's all I want, man. That's all I want is be uh, whatever I just said, but I can't repeat what I said because I was looking at something different when I said it. It was a previous time from when I did say it, so every moment's new, so what's the point, right? There you go. Uh, but, uh, but again, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for donating like a good person. Uh, I've, I've mentioned the donors in the past and I'll, I'll catch up again and, and spray out some love for donations, but the best thing you can do is donate and or Fucking buy a goddamn t-shirt. Smooth doctrine. God. I just did my first voiceover uh, the other day. Really? It's fun. I do all the time. It's like my it's my thing now. Is it? I yeah. It. It's a good thing to get into. I like doing uh, like good James Earl Jones voices and oh, really? stuff. Yeah. So they have me come in. They just say, uh, I just do this. So every, everything I do is just me. You're just the character of... Uh, just me, like maybe turned up a little bit or maybe like a little a little bit more like that. Where do they go? <laughs> do they just say, uh, hey, we want you, but we want you to be an excited version of you? Yeah, basically. Oh, hello. <laughs> <laughs> you want attention. I, know, I recognize this as the attention look. Chevy wants you to uh, adore her lightning bolt and not give it to is? you. Yes. Yeah. See, I had to teach our dog the, uh, the, the trick of... Um, of give, mm-hmm. so our dog's so big. She has to learn how to how to give it up. Otherwise, yeah, our dog uh, learned the game of uh, torment, um, okay. and so she likes to uh, like she'll set it on your hand, and then when you try to grab it, she'll take it away from really? you. And she likes to be chased and then chase you. Right, um, Chevy. Well, I'm gonna have to. I'm, I mean, I I don't want to, but I have to ignore her. Right? Yeah. yeah, Chevy, come here. She'll go away. I know. Yeah, she will never go away. She is well, persistent. You know what I mean? Like like a, and go away in a. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's sort of go away or maybe turn down for a it, second She'll it's turn down uh it's really funny we did a documentary um you did interview for daft punk um for yeah. the bbc the other day and uh they uh they were interviewing me and chevy was dropping bones in front of the cameraman the entire time <laughs> right? and so you just hear this <laughs> and uh and so then they needed to get footage of her and then she lost where she had put her bone <laughs> so oh, so she, like, just a foot they had to like get her to be running around it's pretty funny come on toby and chevere yes if only they uh they knew that she was actually named goat cheese mm-hmm. they would have been able to speak to her in french and she would have understood <laughs> immediately is that does she speak french uh i don't speak french very well so I, i'm not quite sure how fluent right. she is 
um, but she seems to respond. Chevy. She has a French Chevy. dog. Bonjour. Bonjour. <laughs> Comment ça va? On y oui. va. Au revoir. <laughs> Au revoir, Chevy. Um, but yeah, she is a good dog. Yeah, she's good. So what's new? Uh, I just got back from uh, four months of tour, which was awesome. With, with, with P, Paul McCartney. With P-Mac. With Paul Mac. Yeah, it was P-Mac. Uh, P- and uh, Maca, as it were. And Does he have a code name? He's got to have a code name, right? I don't know if we can say his code name. I mean, yeah, I guess he's it's not like the package or something. Yeah, you know? it's not uh, like, uh, <laughs> the, Eagle, the Four. Eagle, Eagle Four. Eagle Four, Dynamite Jack. Yeah. Uh, Touchdown think, Cuddle. Uh, Sir, Sir Paul. Sir. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think everyone calls him Paul. They just called. They just called him Paul. Pretty, uh, pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Um. Oh, uh, now Sherry's bringing you her chicken bone. She's Got very it. into her chicken bone, but you're gonna not acknowledge. <laughs> I, I'm good at not acknowledging now. Yeah, <laughs> I have to. So I have my dog's a shepherd, so she has shepherds have the distinction of being the whiniest dogs, uh-huh. and they just it's like a whistle, like a whistle factory that's burning down or something. So it sounds like just <laughs> <laughs> just all the goddamn time. A whistle factory yeah. burning down is a really good visual. That'd be cool. Uh, whistle fact with all kinds of the duct work that's they have the whistles tested on. Yeah. So when it gets hot, it starts to blow. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. As as one would do in a whistle factory. Right. Had to check and make sure they're all working. Um, yeah, the tour is super fun. We went to uh, pretty much all around the U.S. We played in some um, uh, kind of uh, not not normal uh, tour, big tour environments. We played in Fargo, which was okay. super fun. Far- yeah, they must uh, love that. We played in Missoula. Missoula. Um, Isn't that where David Lynch is from, I believe? Or he's from uh, someplace in Montana? I think uh, he's probably, uh, that, that sounds good. We could yeah. uh, we could Google that. I would I would not be the one, as someone who's listening to a podcast, to uh, make a statement like that and then I have like, somebody instantly be like, that guy's totally right. fucking wrong. That's my favorite thing about podcasts. I was, I've said this many times before, but I like to spread disinformation. I think Steve Albini might be from around Missoula. Really? Yes. Wow, man. Steve Albini. That's a guy. He's everywhere. Yeah, I'm a big um, fan of Steve Albini. Have you ever met him or worked with him? Or I like did that? my first uh, seven inch with him. Holy shit! It was, uh, <laughs> There's always things to learn about you. Where I'm like, I just throw something out casually. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> well, it was weird. It, you know, it right. was in his mode. He's an engineer, and he would yeah. record. You know, it wasn't like he sought us out and was like, I need to record your band. We we're just yeah. like, hey, Steve Albini, will you record our band? He's like, uh, I'm free on that day, and then the next day he went to go do in utero. Um, Holy shit. But. Uh, yeah, it was amazing to watch him. He's a total super genius, and I think that uh, he was kind of like, Are "You guys sure you're ready to record?" <laughs> okay, <laughs> but uh, kind of, is he kind I, of a hard ass? Because the stuff, I, the quotes I read from him make him seem like he's very. He's a really funny guy. Um, yeah. He's uh, he's super clever with words. Really, okay. and uh, you know, I mean, he's absolutely brilliant in the studio. I just sat around and followed him with a notepad, and was like, "Oh, wow. so you set up two mics on the snare drum, one above and one below." He and does. Then, yeah, it was a lot of weird stuff, like I'm taping quarters on the kick drum like a uh, beater and stuff and wow um but uh oh, that's just, that's i love that stuff so much something about that and he was fully like not a producer i'm an engineer you guys decide what you want to sound like and then i'll just record it and then Man. you know just try to make it sound the best it can sound but uh so there's something about that there's like a lot of people who take that road with things that are really successful where you take the road of not being the master of it you're just there as an engineer i guess there's ways like to translate that sort of outlook where you're not like this or not orchestrating it yeah just you're very much just like this is my job this is what i do i'm the best in the world at doing it and there's a level of precision in what he does and uh yeah you know i i agree with it 
in you know the sense that if you're an indie band doing stuff and you've got a sound um it's kind of up to you to decide what your band's going to sound like and that's what makes it indie. i come from the world of uh of you know loving producers and loving you know the kind right. of uh like i think a lot of people are great songwriters and you know i think that uh like a lot of stuff's like 70 percent awesome Right. And I think that uh, it's really good that you have people sometimes to to help uh, edit out stuff that's not so good and help, uh, you know, it's like uh, when I listen to pop music, I'm like, man, I wish that somebody in that studio would have just been like, hey, maybe if you just switch those four words around and like, <laughs> I don't know, for for instance, uh, Katy Perry's Roar song. Okay. Uh, the, the the lyrics of that. That's uh, a song I, I weirdly like a lot. I don't know. You do? Well, uh, I don't know why. Apparently it worked. I mean, she obviously knows well, I didn't, more about I didn't about know who that was. I heard it once and I just was listening to it in the car. I think I was either really tired or really caffeinated or some combination. And I sort of felt that weird, vague, it's creeping of insp like inspiration. Yeah, like, a little, a little inspirato, <laughs> you know goosebumps I mean? on the back of your yeah, neck. You're like, I can do this. Like, yeah, baby, <laughs> like, you're right. You have a rocky moment. And um, I thought it was, I, then I found out like, weeks later, like, that's, a, that's Katy Perry. That doesn't, that doesn't sit right with me because it seems like that's something inspired that she was singing by something about. that, uh, uh, well, she is basically singing about the, the eye of the tiger, which would uh, right. make sense because you're going to roar. Yeah. Um, but, but there I was something was like, I, I forget what the actual line was in it, but there's just stuff that happens in pop songs where I'm like, man, like it wouldn't have been that hard to just find a better word that rhymed with that word. <laughs> like right. when, when people rhyme words with itself yeah, or it's rhyme like words. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it? He always does that. Yeah. Like, Jay-Z is allowed to do rhyming that. Rhyming words with same words. Yeah. <laughs> and then putting yo behind it. Yeah. Yo, I'm a dynamite because I go back to the dynamite. You can't stop this. It's like dynamite. I'm blowing up everything just like dynamite in the way that dynamite does dynamite. Chevy is a big Beyonce and Jay-Z fan. Oh, really? Way. Oh, gosh. That's a, that's a good life. Yeah. It's a good life. Yeah, but as far as... The, it's a hard, serious, hard knock life. You're talking about like producers in terms of like they have a place and... I guess producers versus just yeah. I think that uh, I, I mean there there's something to be said for you know bands not recording. It's, it's a it's a good filter, you know, where you're yeah. like if your band's not good enough to have your shit together to be able to record your song and know what your sound is, you shouldn't go to somebody like Steve Albini right. and expect that he's going to make your band good. Okay. And I think that there's a no. lot of that in the world where people are like, oh man, like if I could work with Nigel Godrich, my band would be amazing. And it's like Nigel Godrich doesn't want to work with your band and like make your band mm -hmm. amazing. He wants no. to like work on stuff that he loves and, you know, make something amazing yeah. that's already amazing. And I think that that's like, especially like moving out to LA, I realize that like a lot of people come here and they've got like this idea that they want to be in a big band or they want to be a big actor and they want right. to kind of do stuff, but they want somebody to kind of mold them um, yeah. and, and make them awesome. And it seems like pretty much 99% of the people that I know that make it in LA are people that already have an idea of what they're doing and they just do their thing really well. Yeah. And it's no. very rare that you find somebody like, you know, maybe like Kesha or, uh, <laughs> or Katy Perry where, you know, they're, they're, people who you know have some kind of innate talent to entertain and somebody's like oh here's like you know 50 songs for you to sing and and sometimes i can make it money out. off of you i know <laughs> yeah, I can exactly see it. i can smell the money i, I think it's all the, the same guy dr luke right who just uh who's that guy he's the guy i think he was the uh he was the band leader on saturday night live or was like the guitar player on saturday night live or something okay 
And then he went on to go and pen like 200 of the worst songs ever made. But 200 of the wor- most popular Most songs? popular so war songs. he's deeply rich. Yeah, he is deeply magnificently rich, rich in okay. a time when no one makes money in the music industry except for people who make headphones and right. Dr. Luke. Dr. And maybe Luke. Max Martin. Who's Max Martin? Max Martin is a Swedish pop guy who does, uh, I think he started off doing like Robin and like good okay. music and then I he went Robin. on to do like i think he did toxic with uh such a good song <laughs> it is i mean the production on that I, stuff I it's know. like every once in a while i'll go by and I'll be like oh man like i was just going back and listening to all the Aaliyah stuff and all the early timbaland stuff and uh-huh. it's just like the production on that stuff is mind-blowing it's so good yeah when, it's, when the production's good on something it's sort of this weird undeniable thing where you kind of forgive other things like i found myself find myself actively forgiving stuff i'm like i just i don't care for everything else but there's something about this it's like pizza or yeah. something where this is just like the service no, I mean, is it's, terrible. The songs are absolutely amazing. You go back and yeah. you listen to them and the production still is amazing. And that's a good kind of counter example where you've got someone like Timbaland who has a thousand good song ideas right. and he's got really good taste in finding people to collaborate with. So like in that same year, he did like probably a hundred songs or yeah. something and they're all kind of different, but they all still stand out like the Missy Elliott stuff from right. that time period. It still sounds so fresh. And I think that like... You know, there's like that. Have you ever read the KLF manual? Do you know about no, that? I don't know anything about that. What is that? The KLF are an amazing band from England. Well, I, I know all the, oh, yeah, the band. So the KLF the were yeah. famous for doing like all the crazy pranks. Like they burnt a million pounds when someone received, I think it was the Turner Award for the best piece of artwork in England. Right. And they offered the person a million pounds for it being the worst uh, piece of art of the year. And they wouldn't accept it. So then they burnt it. And like, But they did uh, crazy weird pranks all the time. But they wrote this amazing book called The Manual. And it was uh, how to have a top 40 song. It might have even been a top 10 song in England in 40 days or less. Wow. And it basically, the premise of it was, as a an artist, you can record one or two songs a year. But as a producer, you can record hundreds of songs. Uh-huh. And there's a total formula. So you can just find people and, and replaceably just stick those people into sub- that song format. Them. But it's uh, it's one of the most brilliant uh, analysis of pop music ever. It's it's uh, it's available online if you look up KLF the Manual PDF. Um, but it's uh, I highly recommend it for uh, for people and bands to read because it shows you that you know there there is a formula that does work, and it's yeah. you know you, you might not necessarily want to follow it. But I remember you, uh, hearing stories exists. that uh, that Rivers from uh, from Weezer was really into, he had like some songwriting algorithm. He does, he has an algorithm. He's and a very smart guy. Yeah, he is a very smart guy. Yeah, I don't I know he, if I agree uh, with his algorithm though, but uh, yeah, I, don't I did know like either. Hashpipe a lot though. Uh-huh. That was a good song. Yeah, supposedly he has this thing where he, he knows, he writes the song in a certain way that, uh, right, that, ha- that guarantees some sort of success because of the... Because of the fact that Weezer did two really great records, right? Yeah. Well, uh, I remember hearing something years ago about this some some uh, guy who's studying popular music, like the last hundred years of popular music. He looked at all the number one hits, and he said there's some. Maybe we've talked about this before, but every one of them has some element of spontaneity, like a yeah or a. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever talked to you about this. I know that, uh, like, I've sat down and I've studied like the songwriting structure of like the Brill Building stuff and like. Mm-hmm. You know the the concept of changes, and you know the the like you, you can tell with the Beatles stuff that like you know each time they would kind of sit down in the studio and learn a lesson, and then they'd write like the best song ever, applying that lesson. They're like, right. "Here's a French horn," and they're like, "Oh, cool!" And they'd write like you know um, some amazing song with a. Uh, 
a French horn like in in my life or whatever. Um, uh, but the uh, the thing with this, the pop song structures is that you know you've got you know the kind of if you break it down to like the one four five like you've right. got like That's you know the Louis yeah. Louis like you know every single pop song and then um, and there are definitely like hooks that work really well mm-hmm. and you can kind of go through and find you know what tension works and you know i I think that you could figure out like an algorithm of what what people like and i do feel like a lot of uh of those pop writers i mean there's a similar thing that happens with dance music where you have kind of like you've got the intro you know you've got the main groove you've got this build then you have like the big break and then you have like another kind of dip and then the super build and it's like uh it's like a movie yeah it's more like a wave (laughs) that you ride but it's uh it's so funny because all of those bands like this i don't know if they're bands but like swedish house mafia and tiesto and david Guetta, like every single one of those songs does that exact same thing in every every song every song and as a dj like I used to kind of play, there were, there were people that made music like that, that I loved, like, uh, the rhythms digital, um, yeah, and Jacques yeah. Lacan, like mixes, like, right. and you know, soul wax. And I mean, there was really, really brilliant people doing it, but now when I hear it, it's just like hearing really shitty comedy where you're like, I know the punchline. <laughs> you feel like a heckler in the audience. You're like, eh, you know, um, so much of that stuff is, is time, uh, time specific, or I feel like environment specific when you listen to it and how you listen to it. Yes, because it doesn't. I can listen to the, the to the propeller heads now. It doesn't sound the same as it used to. Yeah, totally. And I think that's a good example where it's like mm-hmm. they they did a really amazing thing at the time when mm-hmm. that came out. And right. you know, when you or the avalanches is another one where like you go back and you're like, oh, that was really cool what they did, and it's amazing. I was just talking to Money Mark the other night, um, who played keyboards on the Beastie Boys. And oh yeah, did check your head and stuff. He's and, great, man. And he was talking about how Rick Rubin when they started out literally had tape loops running those loops on like unlicensed ill. And so he'd like record, you know, from like Led Zeppelin and he would just have a piece of tape that would go around in the studio. And then when they first got like their samplers, they had like, you know, each record had like a different sampler sound than Paul's boutique. Um, this guy named Matt Dyke, who was like the original dust brother guy. Okay. And, uh, he had like his insonic sampler, but they all have like this really specific sound. And it's interesting to see how that evolves. Now everybody can do it on their phone. They're like, Oh, I can just chop this up and make yeah. a beat. But, uh, before you had to physically tape a piece of tape together. And the interesting thing that happens is that the only thing that ever matters is taste. And the fact that like, yeah, you know, I do think that there's something to be said, like when you're Rick Rubin and you're, you know, making that piece of tape, you're going to make sure the thing that you sample is fucking awesome because you're right. going to spend that time and getting it just exactly right. right. It takes time. It takes you're not going to just like grab anything from the radio. You're going to like take your favorite, you know, like when the levee breaks drum beat or something and right. make something awesome with it. That's that argument that always comes back when people talk about how music is recorded now as they talk about the, uh, the idea that if something's easy to do, then it makes it, you don't, like you just said, if you don't, if it's easy to physically do something, then there's no, you don't have to spend any time in your selection process because it's so simple. Yeah. And you don't so. really ever, I mean, you can get like, you know, like where 
I saw him give a lecture. I might have talked about this on Lost Time on your podcast. No, I think but, we, just uh, talk, we just talked about remote viewing. I think. Oh, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> uh, well, I saw Eno give a lecture and he said one of the best things that I've ever heard where it's like, if you have like an XY axis and you're a producer and like you think that you're going along in a kind of horizontal line mm-hmm. and your goal is like, you know, over in the Y zone. But um, as you start to move in the process you realize you go over a step and you go up and you go over and up and you go over and up and you end up at a point that's x y in space or whatever but a good producer realizes what that thing that's pulling you in the other direction is and then emphasizes that because your preconceived notions of what you should be is just like you know totally not where the art is and where the art is is what pulls you in that other direction and kind of bringing that out so you mean uh, you mean uh well, what pulls you in the opposite direction? Like not in the opposite directions, but say you were going to write a one four five song, right, like okay. you know, and you started playing blues. with it, and like you know, there was just a weird, yeah, just a twelve bar blues pattern or something. Right. But while you were doing that, you're like, oh, but if I put in this chord and substitute this one, and then like you know, we have this weird distortion thing that happens on the guitar. I'd be like, that sounds really cool. It's like, okay, let's work on that little distortion thing and accent that and make that the thing that we focus on, and not the twelve bar blues. Okay, and kind of you know go in that direction i think that beck is a really good example of that where you focus you know, on this small thing that's almost like a mistake well it's it's it may be not like so say you're you're doing it and you kind of start doing it with like you know like a dub vibe or something okay. it's like why did i put a dub vibe on there and then maybe realizing that that's what you actually want to be doing is making a dubbish kind of song and not the you know but it's different in every case like it works with painting it works with films it's like say you start off and you're making a superman film you know and you're like okay i know this the script and i know what's supposed to happen but while you're filming it like these kind of secondary issues come up and it's way more interesting when you develop those because it's it's kind of that unexpected stuff that makes it makes it interesting and and that's where the art comes in because outside of that it's like you might as well be just filling in a coloring book like everybody knows what 145 is right yeah and so like the art is like you know kind of throwing away the the coloring book lines and just extrapolating that little piece there's something of unexpectedness you take that and you, uh, and he was saying that a producer, like, should be the person that's in the room that recognizes that. Okay. It's like, hey, that thing you just did there—that's what this should really be about. Like, you know, okay. and like, oh, it's so cool, especially coming from fucking Brian Eno. <laughs> yeah, it was really weird. He did a yeah. tour when that record he did with uh, John Cale came out, right? And the tour was just him giving interviews with journalists. Really? And he was just on a stage, and he had like four journalists in each city, and then the people got to ask questions and stuff and it was like the best live show I bet. i've ever seen what does he look like nowadays physically uh i'm he looks really healthy he looks like, like he's kind of hasn't aged in the last 10 years what, i mean what kind of clothes does he wear um i don't know i haven't seen him outside of like photos and stuff oh, but really? uh he, he definitely i mean he's he's bald and uh yeah he kind of looks a little bit like uh um like uh someone from the right stuff like uh ed uh was it um what's uh, ed harris he kind of yeah, looks like a little bit ed harris so he doesn't he doesn't have the uh the the, the long the crazy feathered, yeah, uh, the feathered stuff <laughs> in the back with the bald spot in the middle no he always looks like that what's that guy from the frogs uh oh yeah the main guy from the frogs he looks to me like a like a more drug addled version of a frogs, frogs are so amazing frogs are outstanding yeah there's so much music i want to recommend now in this podcast it's yeah like we're over um, over I have a good frog story. Oh, okay. Let's hear it. Okay. Um, I want, 
We should just tell people who the frogs. You should, you the frogs should tell are the frogs. an amazing band that were from Milwaukee, mm-hmm. and uh, during the kind of indie rock period, maybe from like I don't know, maybe ninety two to ninety nine or mm-hmm. something. Maybe they kind of peaked out in like ninety six or ninety seven. But they uh, they did amazing, fucking crazy music, and there was a couple other bands. Red Red Meat was another one that was in Chicago yeah. around the same time that was on Sub Pop. But the Frogs would do crazy shows, and at some point, um, they're like lo-fi, beyond like lo-fi. It's like yeah. this thing where it's it was like destroying music. I, yeah. I remember they got really into the movie Bamboozled. They the, did uh, that Spike Lee did, <sighs> man. They're and so, they did they're a bunch so of cool. shows in blackface, which was really yeah. intense. So um, their whole thing. They have songs that I've heard that I'm like, I can't believe this is a song. This is a song that song Baby Greaser George, which is about. Having your dick sucked by a baby, but it bites your dick. It, the baby bites your dick with its tooth. That is like, really intense. That's a song. Yeah. But and they yeah. wrote that, and it's so it's so bad and so terrible that they get away with it in the fact where it's just this because they they kind of have this casual casual nature of handling uh-huh. taboo things that makes it somehow super funny and really just uh, it makes it makes them not feel dirty yeah something about i mean that sounds insane when you describe it but i'm sure if i heard the song i'd be like oh cool um but uh i when i i played for a year basically in spinal tap with the smashing pumpkins in the last era uh during like the machina thing and um i'm a really shitty keyboard player but somehow i ended up being the keyboard player they did a vh1 storytellers (laughs) and i was brought in and played like modular mogs and sitars and stuff and i think it was like the first time that the band got along together because i was friends with james and with billy and melissa Oftemar was playing bass at the time the guy mike garson who was bowie's keyboard player from aladdin sane was playing keyboards and (laughs) he did piano stuff but he was just like solo through every song kind of one of my jobs would be like okay that's enough soloing for that (laughs) uh, so you were just in the middle of this i was literally just in the middle of it but when i did the vh1 thing everyone's like we kind of are getting along now that he's here so why don't uh why don't we ask him to go on tour and so i was kind of like the ferris bueller of smashing pumpkins for a little bit but uh during the last show that we did there was a show at the United Center, and this was like the finale. Like, this is the last show the Smashing Pumpkins will ever right. play. Like, you know, like didn't really this last, in Chicago? last very long. Yeah, yeah. Um, at the United Center, and then there was one at at the Chicago Metro, and uh, the Frogs came out and played two songs with us, and oh, it was just like man. amazing to see you know the frogs right in front of an audience that just like i don't think a lot of people like you know rick from cheap trick came out and played and stuff and all these kind of like rock legends and then the frogs came out which was fucking awesome and they had opened for the pumpkins i think during um the melancholy tour or something yeah well i learned about the frogs through that video they put out called euphoria it was like a it was a siamese dream era compilation of different there, it was just like one of those 90s things, uh-huh. you know, where it was a VHS tape that was really cool. Uh-huh. They had a lot of different Smashing Pumpkins sh- live shows, like in different places, uh-huh. them appearing on Japanese TV. Them like like James Eha's mom giving him a massage. <laughs> them in like therapy, like fake therapy. Uh-huh. Just, and then the frogs were hanging out. And the fro- they had a little whole like five minute part of 
talking about the frogs, saying how this is their favorite band. And they showed the frogs playing live and stuff. That's and we were all amazing. just like, this is incredible. This yeah. is so cool. Because these guys are, the guys, he's, he's playing the drums standing up. Yeah. They're all wearing wings. They look like fucking idiots. Yeah. They look like total idiots who are not cool, yet they're <laughs> the coolest band ever. And their songs finish right when they get good. Yeah. <laughs> right, right when the song starts to be like, I swear to God, if you had a, if you took all the frog songs and were sat down and wrote actual, like flushed them out uh-huh. and carried the melody they created to the, to its natural progression, uh-huh. you'd have like 15 or 20 amazing number one songs, but they just are such, they're such, uh, what do you call it? Like deconstructionists. Yeah. They're the most, they're the kind of people who, it's like, oh, you like this? Well, I'm going to fucking spit on it. Yeah. It's kind of thing. It's yeah. like the Harry Nilsson I'm going to show you that I can make this good, and yeah. then I'm just going to stop. I mean, as soon as it gets good, we're just going to go like... I just, remember thinking that with uh, with Guided by Voices back in the day, and like, because yeah. all their songs were like 58 seconds long, right, and it'd album. be like, Motor Away would be like the best song ever, right. and it lasts for two minutes, and you're just like, you want it to go on for like 19. Yeah, forever, but it um, doesn't. But in time, as I've grown, like they're perfect the way they were yeah. and i realized that i was an idiot for wanting to be them to be anything other than what they were but i remember being with like some like label dude watching them playing being like oh man we can just get them in the studio and like just flush these out and totally like you know make them sound like the wrecking crew style and yeah. stuff and it's like but then it wouldn't be guided by voices no. or it wouldn't be the frogs you know yeah, it wouldn't have that weird hum in the background of all the songs on is it B thousand or I can't think which album is the one that has like just thirty five songs where you hear like you hear like a in the background of the the most badass song ever like what the fuck is that yeah. someone didn't unplug the fridge or some there's some sort of weird interference going on that was some that was the Eno moment where they're like keep that in there that's yeah. the best part of the song it's perfect it's perfect non harmonic resonance <laughs> to the to the to the snare drum yeah that's just insane it's a uh, it was mm-hmm. a good era of music. Yeah, it was great. And that's when I was like working college radio. So I know that's when I'm actually aware of things. It's exactly the same with me. I was working at a college radio station and like those things were, you know, the most pure, you know, beautiful music stuff in the Mm -hmm. world. And, and now I wonder if I've just gotten old and there's, there's stuff that like that, that exists that I just won't hear because I'm not 17 or if, uh, if everything just sounds like people are playing presets that are straight out of the uh, thing and, and using GarageBand to like do one four five progressions and drum builds and stuff, or uh, it's so hard to tell. You can't. It's one of those things where it's all about perspective, and it's you can't have that same perspective you have. I will tell you that I still am very happy when I hear things like if somebody's like I still have that moment of joy when like someone's like, "Have you heard this band?" Right, and it's actually really good. It's one of the best things about doing Jonah's uh, Jonah Radio or whatever because okay. Jonah always plays like a lot of things that are sent in, and yeah. it's like, "Oh shit, people are still making rad music." I just yeah. never hear it because I'm old. <laughs> yeah, people send me good stuff all the time. I hate, I keep like I don't know why I have been procrastinating, but putting out, but I put out some people's stuff they sent me, but um. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. I feel like it's harder to find because there's so much more stuff. There's there's so much stuff because everybody can record. And one of the cool things with what you do is that you can kind of help people edit through stuff and help turn people onto things. Right. uh, Is there anything lately that you've listened to that you think is that it's like really interesting in that sense? Um, (laughs) I'm trying to think of. uh, I mean, it's like uh, I I'm trying to think of new stuff that uh, surprised by that I was surprised by. Yeah. I've been on a on a fellow cootie. Um, okay, he's not new. He's he's, dead. he's definitely not new. Um, he's been dead for a long time. Yes, uh, but Fela's great. 
but yeah new stuff uh we'll come back to that I, I'm, there it's is possible yeah it's, a, it's, um, it's, it's one of those there's like a weird universal paradox when you get asked about something like that i mean there's stuff like the the fuck buttons or something but they're not new yeah. either but like right. you know whenever i hear their music i'm like god this is fucking amazing right. why don't i listen to this all the time and then you know i go back to listening to yeah fellow Kute or something but uh yeah it's so easy to go back to listen to the, the classics I, 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 I like uh you know, again, not new, but the the new Caribou stuff is I've really good. That. Like, um, they were a band called Manitoba, right? And then they, they had to uh, change their name because of a lawsuit, right? Yeah, was it this another band or was it, it was another band, right? Yeah, I think that there was another yeah. band. Um, it's just isn't it just one guy mainly though, or no? Am I wrong? Is I think that well, Caribou now. I think Manitoba might have been one guy doing okay. most of the stuff, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. And then um, Caribou is like four dudes. Um, is it still really droney and repetitive? That's why I no, like it's, about it's it. No, it's like, uh, I mean, the Manitoba stuff's beautiful, and it was like, it was so delicate, and there was like yeah. so much kind of dimension to it. Um, and the caribou stuff maybe sounds more like the good version of what we were talking about with that, like, you know, Le Rhythms Digital, like Jacques Lacan mixes, okay. where they're just like these beautiful builds, but they do yeah. it right. Um, but it's definitely turned into more kind of uh, dance floor um, stuff mm. rather than like the, the other stuff was um like moom like you know it was just Hipster like, weird, like yeah it was which i, very, I say it in a, not a bad way yeah, that's a, what it in is in a good way <laughs> it is it's like it is a it's kind of a quintessential hipster band whatever hipster means yeah yeah i'm trying, uh, trying to figure that out but yeah, I, I like that it switches back and forth between being a completely like the worst thing that you can say to somebody to, yeah. to like being like a, now it's like nostalgically like yeah hipster cool. Yeah, like, I don't even know. It's one of those things where it's hard to again okay. like a, to gain perspective on it because I think that's the whole word. The word exists in perspective alone. It has no actual, you know, what I mean like the, the definition of hipster yeah i don't think not, anyone ever would refer to themselves as a hipster intentionally and yeah. i think whenever anybody else calls anyone else a hipster it's usually derogatory it is but at the same time it's like i'd probably just own it yeah own it <laughs> it's okay own it There's i love it when people are like yeah that guy lives in silver like he's a hipster it's like yeah no I, it's it's really nice <laughs> um, yeah I, I enjoy good food and hipster dumb uh, and and good record stores and um you know things that are you know it's, it's nice to live in a neighborhood that's curated that's curated <laughs> to some extent yeah curated um, with cash i spent uh i spent a ton <laughs> of my life uh you know going to thrift stores and buying where which which would uh make me a hipster by right. definition but yeah, uh, you're you you're, know. you're deeply you're you can't escape it i have you're enough stuff <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I have. I'm not looking to to find more uh, little little weird thrift store gems and stuff. Uh, yeah, that's something where uh, it takes a lot of energy. Like I don't the crochet have ET behind you there, right? Like, that was a great. That's uh, a find. Thrift store find. You're like somebody actually crocheted an ET, and uh, I can't wait to see our generation go on. Uh, in like 20 years to go on Antiques Roadshow yeah. <laughs> and see what's worth something and what isn't. I think maybe there's going to be this weird thing that happens where, I don't know, maybe maybe that whole show and the whole thing will just break like because it can't exist because these things only have the value with which you paid for them. Yeah. So they don't have any sort of real auctionable value. Whereas that thing, it could be worth everything. It could be worth nothing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> the, because whether exists. irony gains any value yeah, at all. Yeah, um, There'll be like an iron. Christie's will develop an irony scale yeah. <laughs> for appraising things. And the uh, once all these hipsters, we went to uh, geriatrics to the um, Pasadena Antiques Mall, okay. which uh, like looking for weird old antique stuff. Right. But it's like they have a lot of things that are like not antique at all. Right. But I ha- they had like Michael Jackson hologram trading cards, and Man. I was like, that's pretty cool but not antique at no, all not at all it's not antique. um they had the jodorowsky uh like metal barons uh like comic yeah. book in the antique section like that's not antique but that's pretty cool yeah <laughs> like anything uh, jodorowsky has to be worshipped yeah but uh yeah it is weird to figure out what stuff will mm-hmm. maintain value when there's so much trash like, i think uh i think wool is a good thing and wool and wood wool and wood <laughs> i watched that show there i like i i love that show to to no to no end yeah i feel like it's the greatest thing that's ever happened what do you think of the, like the the pickers shows and stuff I like haven't that i've seen those because i don't i don't have cable so i end up if i do watch uh antiques roadshow usually is in a hotel uh-huh. or while on tour yeah um and i'll just watch it i mean there's really there's no reason I could see myself feasibly watching that if I had food and if I had food and uh, drink, I could watch it for six hours. I think no it's problem. pretty awesome, especially yeah. the the British ones are oh, absolutely yeah. amazing because people be like, "I was going through my great granite," and like, <laughs> it's like, "Well, this is from the fourteen hundreds, and it's uh, yeah, that's um, worthless. Yeah, <laughs> that's the best stuff. Like, <laughs> yeah, well, right. this is super old, but it's worthless, and <laughs> yes. this is only thirty years old, but this it, is worth they twenty made seven thousand of them, mm-hmm. and they're very common. Very um, common. Uh, everyone seems to think they're worth something, but they're not. Yeah, there's a uh, there's a show called Picker, American, American Pickers, Pickers yeah. and they uh, they go through and they basically. Uh, rip people off and uh it's it's oh, very depressing off. well they're like yeah. so like it's all about you know the because the entire show's premise of the the drama is them you know bargaining with the person and right. so they'll like basically be driving in a car and and pull over and then you know basically try to uh to get things that people own in their their junk yeah. that have uh high values but it's uh it's they, the it's people really they're buying them from don't realize their value yeah and it's yeah. like they're, they're totally just it uh, like it's very depressing because then you realize that everything that's at a rad store that you go to has basically just been plucked from someone's life and it's oh like, you mean like you go to like a, a curated yeah like, like uh, store, yeah you know mm-hmm. i mean there's a there's one in austin that i love called uncommon objects and, I, uh, yeah i actually been there many times i have some things i like quite a bit i've purchased there i have a, I have a, be- a cowboy a beaver hat it's a cowboy hat from Kansas that's like one of my favorite things ever I got there yeah it's yeah. one of the, I've got a ton of stuff uh, I buy they have a section there of uh, old uh, Masonic and Fraternal Order antiques right and so I have a lot of weird like Masonic capes and like uh, right, cause you, you know a lot about that whole thing right I'm very very into like hermetic esoteric conspiracy <laughs> stuff we should take a quick break and I want to come back and talk about that stuff. okay cool okay Quick break here on Twisting the Wind with Chris Holmes. What's your website? Uh, <laughs> Do you have a website? <laughs> I have a website. Okay. That's Ashtar Command, uh, oh, right, Ashtar-Command.com, okay. uh, yeah. but I haven't really done anything on it in a while. Okay. I just started doing SoundCloud. Oh, right. Okay. Put up some mixes on there. I'll put up um, that right now. I just put up a disco mix for Christmas Oh, yeah, I saw it. I downloaded Christmas. it. I haven't listened to it yet. Okay. I'll put it up. All right. I'll be back. We'll be doing that right now. Break me off some, break me off some, break me off some, break me off some. You're listening to Twisting the Wind on the Feral Audio Network with Johnny Pemberton and Chris Holmes. 
please take an investigative look at the Twisting the Wind page on Feral Audio to find out what you're missing, or not what you're missing, but what you're currently listening about, and then get more into it and either look it up on the internet or spend money to acquire it so it's in your home. Thank you for being here. theme song the hills are alive with a sound how oh, me that's my theme song i wrote that it's nice. called the hills are alive the sound of music written by judy andrews in 1922 <laughs> the great classic melody uh she actually saw her cat um in the yard and that's she just charted the physical the movement of the cat and that's where the song came from Do you look on a staff <laughs> of music <laughs> paper yeah it's, it's actually a cat dancing with a mouse that's awesome um, did not know that yeah, man, I'm full of all kinds of bullshit. That's not true. Um, <laughs> you could tell people that Eno came up with that. Yeah, Eno. Yeah, you could tell people that Eno did anything. And then he ran it through uh, two Rebox uh, machines and an FX processor, and it became Taking Tiger Mountain. Is there an Eno now, you think? Um, I always think about that, but I feel like it's that same thing. It was like, supposed to be Flood, I think, and then Flood just kind of stopped hmm. making crazy, awesome music. Um, I mean, Flood still produces like right. U2 records and stuff, I think. But, ugh, like, ugh. But, uh, I can't yeah. make a sound enough to. <laughs> I haven't listened to it. I'm sure it's listenable. I'm sure it's very listenable. I love that yeah. that like no one's really heard it. Everyone got it. It wasn't on my iPhone when I got my phone. It wasn't. Oh. No, I had well, like I think I had my iPhone match turned off, and so it didn't oh, okay. automatically update it because it gives you that album. Yeah. So I, uh, for better or worse, have not heard it. Um, I love Danger Mouse, and think, I yeah. can imagine that if I did listen to it, there'd mm -hmm. probably be a couple really good things that Danger Mouse did yeah. on it. But uh, it's kind of interesting, just not the not knowing. Yeah, I suppose you can't. It's almost like a historical thing, because you know, I don't know how popular how popular was he back then. Was he like was he big deal? Who Brian Eno? Like, is he super famous in in his? when he was producing like Roxy Music and I think well, music Roxy Music wasn't it, but it was definitely during the Eno uh, talking, talking heads and stuff, the, yeah. the Eno Bowie stuff was probably the uh, the beginning of the the Eno as superstar producer era right. and then you know the talking heads and he did the first Devo record and right you know, um, and then when he started working with U2 and stuff um, I didn't know he did he worked with U2 yeah I had no idea I guess yeah. I don't know that much about him. Um, and he did like weird Cole. He did like the last bunch of Coldplay records, which is weird. He did? Yeah, they totally sound like, you know, Jeez. when you listen to him, like there's totally like a... Uh, such a weird thing. There's a totally, you know, you know, always has this like call and response kind of like, and the days go by and yeah. the water. Um, but yeah. like uh, from Talking Dead songs and like uh, right. there's, there's definitely a bunch of that in Coldplay songs if you listen to them. Wow. I'm not telling you that's going to make you a Coldplay fan. No, I don't think that's going to work. But, but uh, uh, it's uh, weird. it's it's there. There is Eno in there. Um, I don't know if he did the last one, but he definitely did the, the last couple before. He's that. been there. He's been to the house. He's yeah. met, he's met Gwen. Yeah. And Apple. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Uh, I was talk about. Uh, you want to talk about conspiracies? I want to talk about that stuff. And UFOs. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, okay. So what's like the what's the latest stuff that that is on the on your well, radar? Well, it's amazing because when I first got into the stuff, it there wasn't really an internet. It was more like uh, Linksnet and like GopherNet, and there was right. like bulletin boards and stuff. But the BBS. Yeah, and it, it was uh, it was interesting because there there was. I, we had a we had a UFO conspiracy radio show in Chicago. And I remember we interviewed a guy named uh, Kerry Thornley that um, was in the Marines with Oswald, but he was um, a large part of the Illuminatus trilogy, and he started uh, the uh, Discordian movement. I don't know if you've ever I've heard, heard of that. that. What uh, is that? It's absolutely brilliant. I recommend everybody download the Principia Discordia. Wow. How do you spell that? It's a P-R-I-N-C-I-P-L-E. And then... Isn't that principle? Oh, excuse me. Uh, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> thank you. Uh, take off the E and add an I-A. Okay. Uh, um, and then Discordia, like Discord within... Principia Discordia. What yeah. is it exactly? It's a it's a manual on, uh, on basically worshiping chaos. Um, wow, that sounds amazing. And the whole concept is that um, everything in the world dissolves to chaos, so we yeah. should worship chaos. But uh, it's kind of like the best version of the yippee, merry pranksters kind of okay. stuff. But uh, uh, it is absolutely amazing. And, and he was a character named Maliclips the Younger. And, That's uh, a self-appointed name? Sort yeah. Of? Okay. And so in the Illuminatus trilogy, okay. there's just uh, at the beginning of every chapter, there are these wise quotes from him. Um, but they were also a big influence on bands like the KLF. Like it's this okay. idea of just absurdism. Right. Um, but, uh, I remember interviewing him and it was funny because, um, it was very weird. It was like, again, before there were like websites that had, you know, and, and everything was out there. There was the Art Bell show was going on. Right. It, and we were like the kind of academic coast coast. version of Coast to Coast. So wow. people would be yeah. on Art Bell and he'd be like, yeah, so uh, that that reminds me of this story. So you, what you must be talking about is this. And then, you know, and we just wanted people to kind of come on and tell their stories and let them exist mm -hmm. without flavoring them or, you know, kind of. Uh, kind of categorizing them like we yeah. wanted them to exist in their purest form because that's what the story was instead of trying to fit it into some uh, like worldview that we had okay. where Art Bell would kind of try to fit everything into this grand unified um, conspiracy theory right um, my uh, my general um, take is that nobody has any idea what's going on at any point um, uh -huh. I just watched one uh that came out last year called Sirius. Um, like the, oh, this is about, I the weird little that. alien guy yeah, and stuff. What and it was a like, letdown, man. Massive letdown. What a, what, and, not, and not what, I, letdown, what I found, it's misleading. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely misleading. What I found about that, that was <sighs> so fucking annoying was that mm. there are a lot of really great people that are interviewed in there. They're saying were. a lot of amazing things and then just total idiots talking nonsense. Yeah. And there's no, differentiation between those two things and yeah. you know it's like it really bothers me when people are like this is how things are it's like no one knows how things are like i guarantee you that like mm -hmm. in the black ops like you know just tow stuff people are still like i have no fucking idea what that thing is and that's <laughs> awesome like you know it's cool there is weird shit that happens like you know i'm absolutely a hundred percent 
behind the idea that like there are millions of things that we don't understand that happen mm. in the world every day right you know whether it's remote viewing or whether it's like people seeing weird shit in the sky or weird coincidences or weird like kind of like psychedelic experiences on dmt where people see these weird crystal alien right. things or whatever like those things exist what they actually are i have no idea it's like an ant in an ant farm trying to make sense of quantum physics it's mm. like um, just and, and the more that you interview people, the more you realize that nobody has any idea what's going on. And yeah. there are a few people that like will make qualified analysis of a certain aspect of it. Like, uh, I remember one guy that we interviewed was, uh, Jacques Vallée, who's the, he was the famous French ufologist that, okay. uh, that Francois Truffaut played in Close Encounters with the Third Kind. That's actually like talking to the aliens, but yeah. he, he wrote a book called Passport to Magonia and, what he tried to show in his book was that the fairy stories from like the 1500s and stuff were very similar. They would abduct people and they'd take them and they'd like make right. these crop circles and stuff. And there's another guy that I really like called John Keel. John Keel wrote the Mothman prophecies, okay. but he also would just collect really weird stories. And he's like, and his books are, his, his writing's really amazing. I definitely recommend people check out his stuff because he just writes about high weirdness and it would be like, you know, he was one of the first guys to write about men in black. And, you know, he's mm -hmm. like, it was just weird. There's lots of weird stuff with that, that like people would find a piece that would fit into their story and then just leave out the stuff that, that didn't make sense. So like, yeah, like there's a name the people that, were, I think they call it, I think there's something similar that they call It's like, a, like a moving target sort of thing where you, 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 you choose the stuff that fits your, yeah, whatever fits your narrative it stays and whatever doesn't it gets just gets left out left out so you and can, what you i think is awesome is the stuff that gets left out. i love like the black swan shit that just doesn't fit the in like, it's a uh, black swan theory where okay, like, black swan if you have a hundred thousand white swans right. and i show you another white swan it's a hundred thousand and one white swans it doesn't show you that all swans are white it's just right. another white swan but if i show you one black swan it shows you that all swans aren't white you know, and that idea that if you find these outliers, these things that don't fit into the conventional story, right. then you learn a lot more about what's actually going on. And so when we were doing our show, it was around the time that Whitley Strieber and like Bud Hopkins were doing like communion and the abduction stuff. And there was the gray alien type that was like harassing everybody. Mm -hmm. And what was so amazing was that when you actually talk to people, like very few people had that specific experience. They'd have this kind of patchwork they were like well i had this weird thing that kind of happened and you know i don't really know what it was and i had this feeling of thisness and like you know it was very weird and it's like you know it was very obvious that a lot of people had sleep paralysis and there was something called the old hag syndrome which when you have sleep paralysis and you feel like something's sitting on your chest pushing you down or sitting yeah. on your chest and it's happened you know for hundreds and hundreds of years but there's also weird shit that happens that doesn't fit into the old hag experience but what ended up happening with the abduction cases is you could give me an abductee story and I could tell you who did the analysis on it. It was like, okay. it was so amazing because you saw that these people so badly wanted it to fit into their storyline. Right. And uh, there was a, there's a movie on Netflix. Um, fucking see if I can remember the name of it while I tell you, but uh, it, uh, it talked about um, the story about the Dolce uh, base and it was this amazing story where this guy lived across the street in new mexico from this military installation and he started picking up he was an engineer and he started picking up messages on his shortwave radio thing okay. and so he called them up and he's like hey so i'm picking up these messages uh i don't know if you guys know that this is coming out but i wanted to let you know and they're like 
oh, we're really glad that you did. And they created this whole fucking insane story that he was picking up messages that aliens from the base were sending. And, it, and, it, and they ended up making this crash that they like flew him up to. And they're like, yeah, we're really glad you discovered this. And they, they created this whole crazy the scenario. Did? The military did with disinformation to basically make the guy's story completely unbelievable. And it ended up driving the guy absolutely insane. Oh, my God. And... It's crazy because it, it goes into this woman, Linda Moulton Howe, that did all the cattle mutilation stories. Yeah. And, you know, she would write about, you know, and it was definitely happening. People were mutilating cattle and they were like doing these really weird things, like just taking the lips of the cow. And it was all like weird, like, mm-hmm. you know, kind of laser incisions. It wasn't, they weren't like just dying and getting, someone was killing them and stuff. And it turns out that the, uh, the government was flying these like kind of, black helicopters and putting weird lights on them so they look like ufos and they were having to and what they were what it was a result of um is they basically were doing these underground nuclear tests for fracking in the 50s to figure out if and so they were using the cattle to figure out how the radiation had spread but they couldn't tell everybody that so they made up this like false narrative so that people look like they were kooks talking about it and there's so much stuff like that. So this guy ends up creating this whole story about this Dolce base. And like, they claim that like it, it, this whole thing develops where there's like this whole underground base and they, the they US was working with the aliens to develop this secret technology and stuff. And, uh, and then the aliens revolted against the, uh, and started taking all these people hostages. And then they sent in like a Delta force squad. And there was like this huge battle with the aliens That's and they finally cleared them out. And it was all based on this guy's story of disinformation because he was picking up these radio waves and the NSA and the CIA and all these different groups were basically, you know, like following the guy's messages and they wanted to make sure that no one would believe anything that he said. Right. So they know. There's something called, they call it poisoning the well, right? Yeah, they, totally the poisoning CIA the well. It takes some sort of credible piece of information and they spoil it by, by making it, it incredible. And they, it happens all the time in the UFO stuff. It's called the dangling carrot. Okay. And one of the really famous ones was uh, a guy named William Moore and he was doing research on um, the Philadelphia experiment. I think he was actually originally doing a book on the Bermuda Triangle or something, but then they like, they're like, oh, this this informant, and it all turns out to be the same guy that's doing all this disinformation, and he's in this movie. Uh, the movie's called Mirage Man. Okay, that's um, the one, and Netflix. it's on Netflix. Okay. Um, but uh, basically, this guy, and it's the same guy with Bud Hopkins, or not the same guy with Bud Hopkins, but the same guy with William Moore, and the same guy with the guy with the Dolce base, and the same yeah. guy with Linda Moulton Howe. But basically, they'd be like, oh, well, you're looking in this story. Here's a bunch of information. I'm not supposed to go it out, but like, uh, we, we really want this information to get out. So they'd spread this little bit of disinformation right. and make things like really f- like fantastic. So with, with William Moore, what they ended up doing was he was the guy that released the MJ-12, the Majestic 12 documents. It was right. like the, that basically claimed that the U.S. government had a group of top secret, you know, scientists that were working above the president. And they basically were in charge of interactions with all aliens and stuff. And it was this huge, like, you know, there was a CNN special with Larry King where they really? like, released all the information. But it was all disinformation. It was all just total yeah. bullshit. But he then, like, William Moore then came out and was like, well, I did this because they promised that they were going to tell me this real information that was really going on. Oh, man. And, and so the same thing happens with the guy... Um, with the Dolce base, but what ends up happening was, so the, the Dolce stuff, if you Google it, it's fucking insane. So there ends up 
becoming this whole mythology about how there's like these underground bases and then it turns into like the Denver, it links with the Denver airport. Oh, how there's that's the, a whole other thing. There's these underground <laughs> bases everywhere and right. there's like these weird collaborations with goody aliens that are like trying to help humanity and evil aliens that like, so I think at some point the reptoids and the greys, which are two different alien races, <laughs> started this underground battle with the US government underground in Dolce. And then what's amazing is when the internet kind of came around, all of those stories, instead of just being like one person stories, became kind of common like law or whatever. They're, they're just were the, the stories that people built their other conspiracies on. So mm-hmm. someone would be like, oh, this happened. And then if you combine that with Dolce, then like that's the real story. And then you find that it becomes this weird feedback loop where there are all these stories that have been kind of discredited or were made up in this weird way like the guy who's uh they talk about in mirage man like what he actually picked up was really weird and like you know he they actually talk about when he brought the guy out from the military that had sent him the disinformation to this other spot mm-hmm. and you know there was like a crash satellite there or something that they didn't know about and then while he they were there they filmed these really weird lights and the person from the army is like i have no fucking idea what it was that he saw <laughs> right. but you know they he recorded some weird thing but all of that stuff becomes just white noise when it gets into the dolce base and they're aliens fighting the u.s government it's and so like, ridiculous it yeah gets sucked into that and then you've got that with that serious movie where it's all about like trying to release the the hidden information and the idea that like you know sometime in the mid 60s the government discovered anti-gravity and then it all went in the black and everybody was yeah. like you know working on these like kind of anti-gravity propulsion machines and stuff and then you know you've got it then it basically all went into like skunk works and all of these like secret organizations Mm -hmm. but what's amazing is like you know in that in that mirage man movie there's that little scene where they're talking to the guy from mufon who's a you know has a phd and is a really like thoughtful scientific Mm -hmm. man and he's saying that when he graduated from uh getting his phd or whatever the guy who ran skunk works came and gave a talk and he's like basically we have the technology to bring et home again now and it's like you know that that kind of comment from somebody who like built the stealth bomber in the right. 70s and like built the the blackbird like in the yeah. 60s like you know there there is weird crazy technology stuff that we don't know about that the government's doing but i would say that like 99% of the stuff that people see is probably misidentification of classified us government stuff like the phoenix lights like the phoenix lights yeah. and like what do you think the that stuff was? I don't know. I mean, it's weird because that's my favorite one. The, that, the first, such a big sight. The first explanation that I heard was like in that National Geographic special that it was like the flares and like when it went on the overview, it was basically they went behind the mountains and stuff. Mm-hmm. But then the governor that did the the hoax of it and came out and had the alien during yeah, the press conference, that like was so disrespectful. Yeah, but then ten years later, he's like, yeah, it, I don't know what it was. It was right. like it, it probably was something extraterrestrial, and it's like I I honestly don't know even right. and. And I think my perspective on that stuff is like, I never try to figure out whether or not it's real. I'm just fascinated by the stories people make up from it. That's the most interesting part of it. I have no way to verify what happened in Phoenix. I mean, no one does really. You know, if I was there and had like 40 different camera perspectives of it that I could look at, I could maybe make an educated guess, but it would still be a guess. But I love that you can look at it and you can see the thousands of different story narratives that develop and then see how they tie in with a thousand other story and you get these webs of story. And the great thing about the internet is that you can basically go down these millions of rabbit holes. Right. And they're all fascinating. Like they're better than most like, you know, graphic novels or or fiction. 
that you can find because it's like it's pretty everything stuff. becomes like you know validated by you know some other conspiracy and you know it goes into like you know how the cia was like decoding the dead sea scrolls because they were trying to find secret information to like you know <laughs> gain an edge on like aerospace stuff because the ufos that were in the bible or something you know it's like mm -hmm. it just gets crazy and there's billions of them like there's literally like you can choose you can start off with someone like david ike or whatever he's just right. like you know he's he's batshit crazy he's a and like, guy. yeah he's the dude that he was a professional soccer player in england and then decided that he was the messiah and uh went on tv and basically claimed that he was the new coming of christ <laughs> and then uh people basically laughed at them and then he kind of came out with this whole concept that there was a reptilian race of overlords that were uh, headquartered at Bohemian Grove and that the British royal family was all reptilian. And then if you watch TV closely, you could see sometimes that they would shape shift in real time. So there's like, right. there's thousands of videos, videos of like Hillary Clinton, like yeah, online and like blinking. And, and they, it's like, they slow it down. They show this, yeah. like look at the direction. Her and they have like moving. the inception music. It's oh. like, Oh, but, uh, it's glorious. Yeah, it, it is glorious. <laughs> but then you realize that it's just a flaw in the way that like cameras capture. And if you frame like another one that was really great was, uh, I don't know if you ever saw, there was a whole phenomena of these like weird flying creatures. Um, oh and there was this cave in Mexico where someone had videotaped them, but they, they were called flying rods. And if you <laughs> Google it, it's amazing. There's just thousands of things, but like, you know, there basically would be these rods and people like, you know, there were there were flights you know cameras that had you know pictures of them people had had uh there were there's thousands of cases and what it turned out was that like with the digital chip inside micro recording stuff on digital video the way it's like when you film a car and the wheels kind of start looking like they're going backwards yeah it was just an artifact of the cameras and there were bugs that were flying that's hilarious and so there were like little moths and like you know little flying insects wow. that were in front of the camera but they come off looking like these rods but there's you know thousands of websites that are devoted to flying rods yeah. and then what you find is that there'll be another site that will link to the flying rods to justify something else and mm -hmm. you get these webs of just awesomeness but yeah. I, I love that stuff because I think that like it's fascinating you know if you're if you're into graphic novels and you're into like Philip K. Dick and you're into like weird shit it's amazing to see right. what people take with it like there's there's websites that are dedicated to the fact that Philip K. Dick was like remote viewing the future and that everything that he wrote was like prophetic and like all of it's true and mm -hmm. you know he's basically like there there are people that you know claim that is, there's like hidden messages parsed in his writing and if you know how to really? read it correctly there's like you'll see the truth but uh yeah. you know th that stuff is amazing it's it's amazing what the human mind is capable of producing and it's so entertaining and it's like yeah because it's, it's all awesome. it's all creative writing to some extent it's these people who are they're creating a narrative yeah it's like if you've got a jackson almost, pollock on the wall and you're like what do you see like, you know and it's, it's like not, it's not what i see it's what's there <laughs> yeah what's there i yeah. can tell you what's there what do i see yeah. i mean if, if you can't see it it's because you've been blinded by the illuminati shield yeah. that's been put in your <laughs> exactly. face to uh, make you spend more money on paypal which goes to another thing paypal yeah uh the man who founded paypal is he's the cousin of george bush's brother who like, <laughs> like is that a coincidence i don't think so and, and elon musk of course who's uh, putting us in outer space but he already has the space cars to, yeah, to, yeah the space car the, the tesla the car that uh the car that makes you feel like you're rich but um <laughs> also makes you feel like you're sacrificing everything for the for the world at the same time it's like the, like what a genius idea that yeah is. I, a, I, a, I would not mind having a tesla um i would because i feel i would i 
talk publicly about how everyone should throw garbage at Tesla's if they see one. Yeah. <laughs> and if you have garbage, throw it at a Tesla. If you have to go to the bathroom, do it on a Tesla. If you just blow your nose and don't know where to put a Kleenex, put it under uh, the wind under the Tesla. windshield of a Tesla. Just do anything you can to besmirch that piece of uh, rolling rolling arrogance, <laughs> rolling self righteousness on four wheels. <laughs> have, you ever, have you ever been in one? I haven't. I'm sure they're amazing. I can't. It's imagine. insane. It's like literally like you're driving in a space car. God. They go from zero to seventy in like three seconds, and it's. Oh, Insane. Man, sure and there's great. like two gigantic iPad touches that you can oh control. Oh my god! Like yeah, I can't. Yeah. How much it's insane. I, how much do they cost? Uh, like $8, I mean, the, the crazy ones I think are like probably ninety thousand or something. Okay. But they're you know I think that like the Ford has a Tesla engine right. and stuff, and you know it's like not there's, terribly there's expensive. Ex- the car I have right now is less expensive than my Prius and it's like half electric and I never pay for gas. So it's right. kind of awesome. So I'm not going to talk shit on Tesla. I kind yeah. of like, no, I, don't, I think Tesla is great. I think the company, Just the car. <laughs> I think that car is uh, terrible because it's does, it's done this thing where it's made people feel like they're part of some sort of environment. A solution. Right. When actually it's not at all whatsoever because the solution is not in. They're wagging their dicks in everyone's face. Yeah. Wagging dicks in everyone's <laughs> face and it's not about personal transportation. It's that whole idea that, um, uh, what's his name? The, com- the, the famous Colmer comedian. The Colmer Platinum. <laughs> what is the famous comedian? Uh, George Carlin used to talk about that, about uh-huh. how environmentalists don't care about the environment. They care about their, People think, yeah. their environment. They, they had that amazing episode of South Park with the smug alert. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very much the same thing. I feel like yeah. it's just an extension of that, but it's become even a bigger thing because with Tesla... It's they've made it into this thing where it's a real elegant. elegant I never said that word wrong, but it's a thing where it makes it's even more so than a Prius because it's not this. It's it's divorced itself from sort of like a liberal thing and become uh-huh. this worldly thing. Yeah. When actually it's no different whatsoever. It's still just it's just a status symbol. I would say that most people that have Teslas have it because they're like this is a fucking rad like. Porsche gun. Not, I, I haven't met a lot of people that were like, I'm doing it for the, yeah. the, the you know, um, but I think where that's, that's what if we, you listen to like the Justin Bieber yeah. call where he's like getting chased by paparazzi. Do you, have you heard that? I at haven't all? heard it. No. He has uh, a Tesla. No, he's, he's driving in a, uh, a Ferrari or, no, or, it's, uh, or um, Bugatti. It's, uh, I feel like an idiot that I can't remember, but he's basically like, I'm driving in this and the woman on the 911 like, w- what, what is that? And he's like, oh, it's a Fisker. He's driving in a Fisker and he's Fisker, like, okay. he's like, I'm in a Fisker. And she's like, what kind of car is that, sir? And she's he's like, it's a, it's a fucking Fisker. It's, 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 a, a, it's a really nice car. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I haven't heard that. Oh my and God. It's the most yeah. conspicuous car ever. It looks like Speed Racer's car basically. Oh, really? And it's, right. they're platinum and they have like, like crazy built. LED lights that are underneath it and stuff. Wow. And it's like, if you're trying to avoid the paparazzi, you probably shouldn't be driving in yeah. a space mobile. Drive a fucking six-year-old Prius yeah no one's gonna, <laughs> no one's gonna harass you they'll think you're an uber drive a Honda Accord <laughs> <laughs> but it is a really really funny moment of yeah. like uh hubris where um you know he's uh like whenever I think basically what I'm saying is like when I think of Tesla I think like well it's better than owning you know a Fisker or a uh right. you know a, a Bugatti or, or something, something like that. that yeah um but uh that's just because I like the fact that uh that someone made something that doesn't use oil. <laughs> yeah. And, and What's well, the thing about that? It doesn't use oil, but the, uh, the end, re- the, the end result of pollution is still probably the same, if not yeah. greater. And it was also used a lot of oil to build it. That's the thing about, what? about the whole, the energy thing where it's, people always forget about the energy inputs to something like, Oh yeah. There's one thing it can yeah. run off of, uh, no fossil fuel, but I've seen collapse. Yeah. 
Oh yeah, you sing. Yeah, you know, I'm, not, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the. Uh, I'm having a conversation. I'm utilizing you. As, you know what's interesting yeah. is that uh, I mean it, it's really sad, but the guy from Collapse, like yeah. uh, uh, my friend Chris Smith, made that movie. Okay. The guy that made I love Amer- that movie. American Movie, also, which is my favorite documentary of all time. He also he the guy who he made did, American Movie made Collapse. Made Collapse, and he made I the mean, Yes Men movies, which are also which, absolutely yeah, brilliant. Just, I mean, these these are four movies we just talked about. Yeah, that are at least three of them that are some of the greatest things you can watch. American Movie to me is I'll never see something. There's, I think it's the best documentary ever made. I think about it almost every day. Yeah, I think about there's and, things that are just one or two words that were said. Where it's such a, like this pure moment of... I think it's the best yeah. description of artistic passion and being true to art that I've ever seen captured on film. It's mm. absolutely the most beautiful thing. It's, there are a lot of funny moments in it, but like that guy's passion to creating is so fucking beautiful and yeah. it's done in a non-judgy kind of way. And it's mm-hmm. But like j- just to get back to Collapse for a second, the guy who was in collapse you know was very passionate about the fact that like you know everything from your toothbrush to you know the bottle of uh of sparkling water that Mm. that's on the table is like everything's made from petroleum base and we're running out of petroleum and at some point like with peak oil you'll run out of the ability to do that so it's not just that you're not gonna be able to drive your cars you won't be able to have anything in the economy and, and the world will collapse but what became sad about that is that that guy was so committed to that concept happening during his lifetime that he ended up moving to um like northern canada in alberta and was living in like this little town and then vice did an episode a series on him as like kind of survivor man and then he committed suicide because he was man he was was a very manic guy he was yeah and it's like i think he was kind of like disappointed that it didn't happen sooner you know and it was like there's a lot of people that way and i i used to be that way myself actually i kind of like have eased off a bunch because i feel like there's no you don't get anything from feeling that way constantly here's my theory yeah every single period in the history of civilization has thought they've been living in the end times. And it's a very, it's a very uh, arrogant thing to think is to think that you are so special as to be living in the last of times. And, and that's, it is not at all that I don't think that the world's completely fucked up. And I'm very terrified with, you know, the fact that the Greenland ice sheet is melting that, right. you know, and, and uh, do you watch uh, newsroom at all? I haven't yet. Um, there was a there was a good episode <laughs> where they basically bring in the head of the EPA and he comes on for the interview and they're like, "So what's going to happen?" And he's like, "Um, we're we're fucked. The world is is going to be fucked. There's there's nothing. If if we stopped using gas twenty years ago, it, maybe, it's possible we maybe. might have been out. But now no, we're basically uh, we're, we're it's too late. We've crossed the path. Uh, yeah. Humanity is doomed. And they're like, "Well, what's a good person?" He's like, "Nope, we're all doomed." <laughs> and uh, you know, I, I'm I'm a big believer. In the kind of, uh, you know, singularity university like uh, Kurzweil, um, you know, uh, concept of... Technological salvation. Yeah, and the fact that that mankind kind of, uh, we we grow exponentially with scientific um, uh, uh, developments and discoveries. And so things like if you plot the course of desalinization of water and the cost per gallon like Mm. it rises exponentially so at some point you know it'll be cheaper to desalinate water than it is to you know purify water and there will be no water crisis and i'm not saying you know you can never take anything like that for granted 
but there are innovations and it doesn't mean that we won't blow ourselves up first before any of that happens. Right, because there's always that, there's always that side of it where for every sort of good piece of, whoever good use of technology, there's the opposite. Yeah, there's, there's always the opposite. There was a really good quote yesterday. I was, uh, um, I was looking on Reddit in the, the weird science section and it was the anniversary of the guy who claimed the word, the singularity or something. Okay. And they, somebody went back and interviewed him and, uh, and asked him if he thought his date of prediction of, I think it's 2029 or something. Not Kurzweil is a different singularity. Kurzweil's Kurzweil pretty diluted. I, I like Kurzweil, but he's definitely, well, he he's, has still, his, he's very diluted. He has his own agenda. I think he's probably one of the smartest people who's ever lived, but he definitely has an agenda that he's trying to fulfill. I don't know a if that makes agenda. him wrong. Yeah, but, I uh, agree. I well, mean, he's definitely right about a lot of things. But anyway, just to yeah. finish the point, the guy who uh, who coined the term, the singularity, was saying that he still thinks it's probably going to happen uh, around 19, or 2029. But he had a nice caveat. He's like, that's uh, if we don't blow ourselves up <laughs> first or get killed yeah. by like a worldwide plague. Um, so there's always a, always a silver lining that we can I look forward to. I also think that that idea too is something where, uh, I mean, even kind of going back to the whole idea of, of the Tesla car and stuff, it's this thing where I think the singularity, if it does happen, it may not happen for everybody. It may be a thing where it's sort of this. There's there's already these grand class divisions happening, and uh, and in terms of access to technology and people who are who can involve themselves in high levels of tech, and maybe that might be one of those scenarios like sort of like the time machine, but uh -huh. maybe not, maybe not as physical, more like a technological version. You think of it'll that. be there'll be classes that do experience this? Yeah, I think uh, yeah. there'll be certain people who are just I think left every in the single dust. science fiction film. Right. That's been made in the last twenty years. Definitely has that, like the uh, District Thirteen kind of thing, or whatever. Yeah, is it, was it Thirteen or District, District nine. nine? Nine. Yeah, District yeah, sorry Nine. Sorry about that. Because to to think that everybody can uh, jump into this sort of thing that's happening. Well, it's like the things will evolve and technology will happen, but there's still going to be people exploited by it. And it's right. not like all of a sudden everybody's going to be living in a Jetsons world. There's right. still going to be people living in slums and. What usually happens and what's happened over the last hundred years is that that gap between rich and poor hasn't gotten narrowed. I mean, there was a period maybe after World War II where, yeah. I mean, when you get into the... But that, but that was all because but, of World War II. That's yeah. the irony of it, is that it took a world war for one country to be untouched from the war to make it so they had this sort of buffer of 30 years of relative prosperity in the middle class. And now it's falling away because the uh, the cheap energy is falling away. Yeah. Yeah. Um. And it'll be interesting, like, so say they do find some cheap energy thing, they'll find a way to monetize it and make right. sure that no one, no exactly. one, so it's this thing no one has it. It's, even, if you it know, is, even if it is free. Even if you're optimistic on technology, <laughs> I'm very pessimistic on, you know, capitalism and how people will monetize right. it. So, And that's how those things work, is they want to, you have to, I mean, it's even how the industry, how the oil and gas industry works. The reason gas prices, gas prices have to stay a certain level, otherwise the industry itself will collapse because if it becomes too much, it'll be too cheap and it won't yeah. be worth selling. How so, crazy. Well, that's no, what's going on right now. They were just saying yeah. that the reason that the OPEC has cut the oil so cheap is they don't want the shale prices to, to be able to yeah. be uh, you comparable, know, yeah, comparable and, and yeah. To, to compete with them. But that'll, that'll it's absolutely fast, insane. Yeah. And it's just we're already in the we're already in the red queen syndrome. Like I've heard. Usually what's in, the red queen syndrome? Uh, the red queen syndrome is like a reference to Alice in Wonderland where you have to keep running faster and faster to stay in the same place, which is what happens with fracking and shale uh -huh. oil is the returns uh, energy invested over energy return. Yeah. Uh, it starts to starts to um, 
fall off at a period to where you have to drill more and more wells uh-huh. to just keep getting the same amount of oil. Yeah. So it's this thing where you have to work harder and harder to do to get, stay yeah. in the same place. And it becomes a point where you cannot do it, run fast enough or drill enough wells to stay in the same place. And that's when you have collapses because yeah. it just, it's not sustainable. Like it's literally not sustainable. Yeah. It's, and, uh, it's pretty intense. I mean, it's a yeah. very, uh, it's a very complicated thing. And the fact that the entire socio, uh, political like framework of our world is based on it too. And it's like, yeah, what if somebody came up with an alternative to it? It's like, right. It's really, uh, it would throw, it would be pretty crazy. Yeah. They'll find some ways. And that's to, what they're doing at the Denver airport, right? Yes. At the Denver airport is exactly the headquarters of all of it. Could you Adult explain J. a little bit of that? Cause that's something where I always hear a lot about of, but I hear a lot about, but I don't really, I've never really investigated it. And it's something where, I think it's so interesting because it's it's a modern thing, right? I'll give you the Jesse the Body Ventura conspiracy theory version okay. of uh, of his summary. <laughs> there's of no it. there's no Chris Holmes version of it. <laughs> well, I'll then tell you w- okay. w- what I think. Because it's thing. so interesting to me because it really is. It seems like a bold faced lie, a right? It's very very no no no. There's very weird shit there. It's like Roslyn, okay. you know, Cathedral in Scotland. Like if you go to there, it's there's you know it's it's not that you have to be in the Da Vinci Code to see really weird shit there. There's okay. really weird shit there. Like. There is a mural in right. the baggage claim area. I've seen that, it. That, yeah, and I think most people that are listening to your podcast probably have. But it's like it's really there, and it's like fucking has these weird like soldiers, like you know, basically murdering little children and stuff, and like doves, and like it's just it's really dark. And then there's all there. So basically, what happens with conspiracy theories is you have this, you know like whether it's white noise or whether it's a Denver airport, but people will find significance in things. But at the Denver airport, there's lots of really weird shit that is bizarre. You know, I don't think it's weird that they have a Masonic plaque, but it is weird that they have like a gargoyle in a suitcase that's (laughs) overlooking everything. But the, the main thing with the conspiracies with the Denver airport is that there is supposedly an entire the it went over budget by billions of dollars and there's still construction going on now and the idea is that fema has built an underground city there to support you know hundreds of thousands of people and then that became part of a conspiracy theory that they would fly all the elites there in a time of uh um i think it all started during the idea that uh uh, I think it was during the Nicaragua Contra affair during Reagan when FEMA was getting some legs under it where they had basically, they had basically assigned all of these like football stadiums and stuff as kind of concentration camps for right. dissenters. And the idea was that if Reagan went into South, um, Central America and were to inv- basically invade to stop communism and people dissented, they were going to suspend the constitution, declare martial law, and then put all of the dissenters in these football these stadiums, camps. kind of like they did in Chile with yeah. Pinochet. Um, and they'd put them in these camps. And then the idea was that they would create these areas of safe zones. F- if it got, you know, helter skelter out there, they it would, got hot. <laughs> they would, uh, they'd basically have this, uh, sustainable world that, uh, they could live in until, uh, things cooled down enough that, uh, they could go above ground. But, uh, and then during the, the FEMA conspiracy has kind of, uh, grown 
with the development of the, the homeland security it's kind of gone from the idea of eisenhower and his like farewell speech yeah, warning of the military the industrial, industrial complex. complex it's now become like the homeland security and the fema complex right. where you know billions of dollars are spent building these underground things and you know in reality there probably is some underground base mm-hmm. there but if there was a nuclear attack or some kind of you know plague or something that was released it would be highly unlikely that people could fly or drive their cars to an airport and then just yeah. go underground. Like it's not like every elite rich person has a, uh, a transportation pod that will get them directly <laughs> to that airport. So there's a lot of things when you look at the logic of it with, um, the kind of concept that there would be this underground, like, you know, I could see them having like an underground military thing, like Cheyenne yeah. mountain or something, you know, where like NORAD, where it's like this kind of, uh, defense base where you could run operations and have government Mm -hmm. things and there probably is something under there but i don't think that uh you know it's made for rich people as uh, like the the traffic getting there would just be it would be like walking dead so you think it's more for like it's a government installation i i think that it's probably set up for you know there probably is some kind of worst case scenario like uh kind of thing and there probably is a government installation there like dr strange love style mm-hmm. right but i don't think it's a secret city for the rich uh when when the zombies come to uh yeah. to 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 out, outlive the uh the the zombie apocalypse so jesse the body thinks it's for uh it's for the elites jesse the body thinks that it's for the elites and that it's been set up because they know it's coming okay and they are uh they're sending these messages to taunt us all to say the the messages at the airport like with the mural are winks to us to be like huh you're not getting in wow and jesse has got to know because he was a soldier for the United States Navy SEALs. Uh-huh. And as a soldier, he has the right to be able to see whatever our tax dollars are, are going to be spending. And, and every every God-given American red-blooded human being should have the same rights to be able to go in that underground thing. And he should, you know... Uh, and you know it's like there's weird shit in the world like the the harp installation oh, right, in uh, harp. in alaska is a weird fucking thing and, and it's real and and it's a real thing that they right. built and yeah. you know it, it probably is has to do with like weather stuff and but there is you know the possibility that they could be shifting world weather patterns and stuff but uh it's probably not the kind of thing i don't know if you ever saw the episode not having cable uh, <laughs> of jesse the body venture going to the harp station i have watched a couple it was pretty amazing he's okay. like it's my God-given right to go in and see what you guys are doing. I <laughs> and they're like, uh, "Sir, it's uh, it's it's top top secret classified. Uh, you can come back on Wednesday. We have open tours." And then he comes back on Wednesday, and he's like, "What are you guys hiding here?" Um, but it's yeah. not like he's got a PhD in uh, atmospheric physics and would understand what they're doing anyway. Right. So, um, but it's it's good. It makes for a great conspiracy, and you know there is high strangeness going on. I mean, I have no fucking idea what they're doing there, and I'm sure it's very weird. And I'm sure mm-hmm. if I understood one hundredth of what the black budget stuff goes for, it's probably really intensely strange. Um, it just seems but, weird because they're doing it. Uh, I, mean, I wonder if it's like a hiding in plain sight type thing. Like that seems like maybe what it is. It's a it's yeah. A I mean, more, it's it's definitely. Uh, a very bizarre thing. There's lots of weird shit that's been mm-hmm. built and that the government's done. That's, uh, you know, really, really bizarro things. But, uh, you know, I, I, I am, uh, 
I, I, I'm kind of a, a weakest link uh, conspiracy <laughs> theorist. Right. Where um, I let's give them a lot of credit. Let's I just don't think that people are that that clever. And I think that like mm-hmm. when you look at like the 9/11 truthers, it's like yeah, I think Dick Cheney and and uh, you know um, and Rumsfeld are, are evil evil men that should yeah. be tried for war crimes. But I don't think that George Bush was a mastermind that like yeah. you know is is running false flag operations. Right. I but think then all that stuff is I think mainly what it is. It's this thing where they're massively embarrassed. So anything any type of cover up that's going on is going up to cover up. How embarrassed they yeah, are for like, this thing that happened. You know, you look watch. at something like New Orleans and the good job brownie. You know, it's like yeah. it, it was if if the government and then there are people like that have a conspiracy that that was all intentional and that right. it was because they wanted to, you know, clean out New Orleans or whatever. I just don't think that people think that way. You know, I think people yeah. are opportunistic when shit happens, but I don't think that people have the foresight to uh, to send a weather pattern into a city and then, you know, not For care that. if hundreds of thousands of people are killed. There's a really good example. I don't know if we have time. Do we have time to we tell time. a crazy story? Okay, so this time. is a real thing that happened that okay. blew my mind that I um, found out about watching some documentaries. Um, but uh, there was a thing called Operation Gladio. That's um, a great word. It, How do you spell a Gladio? Gladio is uh, it's a gladiator with just an I O okay. after this. So it's G L A D I O. But uh, it was a real thing that was set up, um, and the idea was after World War II, when the Cold War started, Winston Churchill and the American CIA intelligence set up these stay behind troops in all of these different countries. So there were there were basically intelligence. And super right wing, you know, some some ex Nazis and stuff mm-hmm. that were left in Italy, Belgium, all these different countries had different operations, but they basically existed independently. And the idea was that if the Russians were to cross in, try to take over Belgium or right. you know, or, or or Italy, mm-hmm. um, that they would have this army that basically could set up communications and be a, a um, kind of resistance force that could function for a long go. enough time for the so and they had them and they had secret caches of weapons and money that was set up wow. and so you know during the the 50s um you know it, it was uh you know in the, in the 60s there you know there were situations like when they went into czechoslovakia and they, they after the velvet revolution or whatever mm-hmm. and they kind of crushed them and you know it was really harsh but they they showed like at some point us intelligence knew that that the soviet union wasn't trying to expand anymore mm-hmm. but they still had all these stay behind forces and what ended up happening was and this is again not a conspiracy but a real thing <laughs> and i should be very clear about this this is uh documented and uh but what happened was these forces basically started acting out on their own and they started attacking places so in italy there was italy's probably the most well documented of them but they they started blowing up uh bank buildings and they blew up a bomb at the milan train station and they killed hundreds of people and right. they this is in the 70s or this 60? is in the 70s um early 70s to mid 70s and basically what they were doing was this these extreme right-wing fascist groups were blowing up these bombs and trying to frame the left-wing communist oh, as wow. doing them and so what turns out happening is like they basically set these things up to prevent, you know, a communist takeover 
And then that logic kind of got turned to like, well, the communists are running for our government here. Uh-huh. We have to make sure they look bad. So let's murder some children and, and women and children. Right. And, uh, it was, uh, it was, it's a terrifying, um, it's, it's something of tension. It was like a, a policy of tension, I think okay. it was called. And the idea was like, so in Belgium, they just went into supermarkets and started shooting people wearing masks and stuff. And Jeez. this idea was that if people were under this condition of strain and tear, they would give up their, their liberty for security. Right. And it turned out that like in, in Germany and, and, another thing that they would do is they basically would infiltrate these left-wing groups with these crazy fascist guys that would basically push them into a military direction. And it it all kind of came out in the eighties and it's fucking terrifying. And you realize that that stuff actually happened Mm -hmm. and you're like, okay, well, you know, maybe, maybe it's going, maybe I was optimistic when I thought that, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. people couldn't do things. That was something that was set up in like 1947 that lasted for 40 years and basically turned on itself and they were like we're not doing enough and it was all these crazy fucking ex-fascist guys that were like bored um and they were like we should do something and and so what they did was this i think it's called a strategy of tension or something Mm -hmm. and uh but there's uh there's a really good bbc documentary on it it's like three hours long there's a really great (laughs) website called thought maybe okay um that is a collection of political uh documentaries i don't know how they they did it but they have all the adam curtis documentaries which are some of my favorite they have uh the uh the trials of henry kissinger is up there um who was the guy who made the documentary recently that was um the one about uh freud's brother who was the man who invented that, the, that was adam curtis adam that, curtis that, yeah, right, yeah that is he the makes uh, amazing documentary yeah they're absolutely amazing that's the century of self they're um, hard to get though they're hard to they're uh, all up on thought maybe they are. and it's okay. a free you can you is know, it just watch thought maybe one word thought yeah okay. um and that his name's adam curtis but he has the mm. century of self is the one about uh edward bernays yeah who was freud's nephew who invented uh the concept of uh pr pr and uh you know the the using kind of capitalism and and uh and marketing to uh to keep people from wanting to uh to become fascist or communist chugging right along baby it's working it's well well done well done (laughs) bernays but uh yeah that's the adam curtis documentaries are fucking amazing and they're terrifying because they're very accurate um the uh all watched over by machines of loving grace is another amazing one there's one on game theory um that's all about the nash equation and like uh what is that nash is the guy from beautiful mind Um, okay right yeah but he was the game theory guy at the rand institute that had decided that um uh that was i forget what that one's called but it basically one of the episodes called fuck you buddy and there are these games that they they made up that would that were kind of uh game theory uh strategy games and and the the fuck you buddy one they basically found that the best uh the best course of action was to always fuck the other person over and so grim nash or not grim nash uh, uh john nash sorry grim nash was a member Different of uh, crosby stills and nash, nash and, uh, <laughs> and a solo <laughs> and sometimes young and a solo artist, yeah um but uh john nash won a nobel prize in economics and uh he uh in this documentary by adam curtis um talks about how he realized later on that he was a paranoid schizophrenic and that even though his equations worked out he found that in reality 
humans had a tendency to collaborate and to help each other out. Mm -hmm. And so the whole concept of mutual assured destruction and the Cold War buildup of nuclear missiles and stuff right. was based on this theory, this game theory stuff that was this idea that Came it up. was best to to have more missiles than the other guy because, right. like, you know, you wanted to be able to fuck them over because they would fuck you over. And all from the mind of a paranoid all, all from the, and and it's amazing because he interviews him in it um it might be the power of nightmares there's there's probably six uh, different john Cur or adam curtis documentaries on there but the john nash one is amazing on the website you can look by uh they have keywords so you can look up game theory mm -hmm. and you can look up adam curtis wow. and that would be up there but it's it's mind-blowing because you realize and, and and they're interviewing john nash and he's like yeah i was kind of fucked up because i was wrong about that the math works but humans tend to collaborate yeah people tend to get along if you let them and they have <laughs> you know there are things like the stanford prison institute experiment which is another terrifying one where it they is. basically uh you know, or, or there was another one that they have in, uh, in those documentaries all the time where it's, uh, the guys are giving an electric shock right. to the, and then they end up, yeah. if they, if they have somebody telling you that it's your job to do this and that they're okay in it, mm -hmm. all these people gave fatal shocks to people for getting the wrong answer in another room. And right. it's, uh, and they have the foot, when you watch the footage of that stuff, you realize Scary. like, what a slippery slope it is being human and you know that if you follow orders blindly like people do really fucking horrible stuff yeah the construct of power in those situations changes all changes human dynamics yeah, it makes if, you like almost not human to some extent yeah, if people think that they're being ordered to do something they'll do really fucking crazy stuff mm -hmm. so you got to think for yourself buddy think for yourself uh play fun games with your friends listen to the frogs listen to the frogs um, but don't do what the frogs sing about. Don't do what the frogs sing about. I think they're just. I think they're they're gay, right? Isn't Dennis? One of them was gay. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. there's certain things that he sang about that I feel like he had license huh. to sing about. Yeah, I mean, I think <laughs> so, if you want to be gay, you should totally fucking totally be, gay. be gay. Be gay as shit. There be gay ain't like fucking frog. nothing wrong with being gay. Um, yeah. So those are the things we learned today. Yeah. And that there's a lot of weird shit. I love coming on your show and talking about <laughs> weird things. We yeah. didn't even talk about rock and roll at all, really. We I talked know, about man. Eno for a little bit. That's awesome. That's great. It though. is awesome. Rock and roll can talk about itself. Yeah. That's what it's for. We went and hung out with, uh, next, I'll sit next time, we went to, uh, Brazil and hung out with, uh, with Glenn Greenwald's boyfriend. Oh, uh, really? Okay. Which was awesome because he told us some of uh, the Snowden uh, stuff. But uh, I would recommend that everybody go watch Citizen Four. It's fucking mind-blowing. What is that one? That's the Laura Portress uh, documentary on uh, the Glenn Greenwald, or uh, okay. on, uh, on Edward Snowden. And right. it basically, it, it from the moment that she first got the emails from him and they go to Hong Kong and meet up with him. Right. And it follows his release of the information and stuff. Wow. And it's... Uh, that's a fascinating story that's happening right now, and uh, yeah. it really uh, gives you some good perspective on it. It's one yeah, of the best documentaries. It's no American movie, but it's <laughs> it's probably the best documentary I've seen this year. I'll have to watch it. I've got a lot. You've had a lot. You've been holed up here, so you've been able to... <laughs> I, I watch a lot of documentaries on tour. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, uh, that's one thing. I listen to lots of books on tape and uh, watch a lot of documentaries. Um, so it's good stuff. But uh, yeah. Awesome. Sweet. Well, thanks for having me on. Thanks for having me, Chris. Cool. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Hey, thanks. Come back soon. Come back again. Do it again. Yeah, one more time, okay?
Hill. the United States government, it is the mission of the National Security Agency to assess and flag citizens of the country who may present a threat to its security. The NSA has clearance to wiretap by any means necessary. Tapped. Incidental recordings of private conversations from the files of the NSA. Now on feralaudio.com.